by Just As I Am Ministries, a nonprofit that gives hope to people that were caught in the devastation of addiction or overrun by emotions in this series. Learn how to identify feelings, what motivates actions, and find biblically-based solutions to manage emotions. Rich and Susan Collenberg are a husband and wife team who found freedom 15 years ago from their out-of-control lives of drug addiction and alcoholism. Now, here's Rich and Susan with Solutions for Freedom. For those you love. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom to Choose. My name is Rich Collenberg. And my name is Susan Collenberg. Susan, we're going to begin a new series today. What's it going to be about? Well, for the next several months, we'll be talking about self and human emotions. Oh, give us some examples. What do you mean? Well, we'll be talking about things like anger, stress, jealousy, anxiety, self-esteem, depression, and much, much more. Well, I'm exempt from all that. Wow, <laughs> sounds interesting. I was going to say that's a description of my self. Uh, yeah, huh? So uh, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, today we're going to talk about what should rule your life. Should your emotions rule your life? How do we make good moral decisions? And what is the only way for true healing? Okay, good. Uh, Susan, would you please open today's program with a word of prayer? Yes. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the ability to come here and to share the truth about um, what you would have for each one of us in our lives. And we just pray now that you will send the Holy Spirit to be with us and to um, help us to relate those things that are biblical and that will help um, each one of us in healing in our own day-to-day life. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, I once heard a psychiatrist tell a story about a woman who came into his office one day and Now, his reception room was decorated with some mirrors on the wall that were actually part of the wall, kind of an ambience thing to make the room look larger than it really was and to make it look more friendly, more appealing. The lady had waited in the reception room for quite some time, and when she finally got into his office, she asked him quite bluntly, did you enjoy watching me adjust my nylons? And of course, he said, Could you run that one by me again? And she said, did you enjoy watching me adjust my nylons? And he said, when did I do this? And she she said, just a moment ago, through your two-way mirrors in your reception room. And he said, I don't have two-way mirrors in my reception room. And she said, yes, you do. And he said, how could I prove it to you that I don't? And she said, you can't. So he said, If I was to strip this whole room down to the studs where you could see that there was no two-way mirrors, no monitoring system, would you then believe me? I mean, this is a logical question, right? Mm -hmm. This is rational. Yes. And she said, no, I know you were watching me. So he said to her, what is it that I could do to prove to you that I wasn't watching you? And she said, there's nothing you could do to prove it. You either have some sophisticated screen and system or something, but I know you're watching me. And he said, how do you know this? And she said, because I could feel you watching me. Does this make you want to ask a question, Susan? Yes, it does. What would that question be? 
Well, it would make me want to ask something like, are our feelings a good judge of reality? And that's what we're going to talk about today in dealing with feelings and reality. And and basically what we're going to uh, talk about today is the world's way of looking at feelings and emotions and how to get you right. And then, of course, a biblical way. And well. For instance, can two people have a very similar experience and yet have totally different feelings about that experience? Yes, it happens to you and I all the time. (laughs) It does. And if you're married to a wonderful woman, you will know (laughs) that you will notice that you will be in the same situation, but it'd be experienced and experiencing the same surroundings and yet have totally different reactions. Um, How about when we travel? What happens when we travel? What happens when we travel? I like to travel. I really enjoy it. So she goes into an airport, and she's excited, fun, happy, looking at people, talking to and and here I am. I'm anxious, claustrophobic, impatient, and reality hasn't changed. No. We're both experiencing the same input, the same surroundings, the same everything. The human organism is funny. Uh... We will describe feelings as, say, being pleasant and unpleasant and whatnot. And for instance, do you like pepper or do you like mustard or do you like carbonated beverages? There's nothing wrong with these things, but you did you know that they actually activate pain receptors in hmm. your mouth? Interesting. And I can remember a little child, we came in, he came into the kitchen one day and we gave him his first little drink of uh, carbonated soda oh, water. Yes. And he made this funniest face. But then the next week, the next weekend, he came over and ate again and we gave him a little more and he made a funny face, but then he reached for it and he wanted it again. Right. And he became conditioned to... Because of all the other kids were having it. Yeah, and that that's exactly right. Like a roller coaster ride. The kids will go on a roller coaster ride. They'll be ready to vomit, but they'll be saying they're having a great time. Right. Right? How about a haunted house? Two people can go in a haunted house, the exact same experience, but someone will enjoy it tremendously, and other people will be just terrified and want to get out of there as fast as they can. See, and so we would describe these feelings as pleasant or unpleasant. So the, the, the pain, I know there's these guys that uh, work that I work with, uh, they like hot sauce and jalapeno peppers for lunch. And they, I mean, they're really hitting those pain receptors, but it's pleasant to them. You see, mustard is pleasant to me. I like mustard. And so certain people like certain things, even though it, it took a while to condition yourself to be that way. So, uh, and this is what, this is why sometimes maybe our feelings may not be a good judge of reality. So I have a question. What is more prone to change, our feelings or reality? What is more prone to change, our feelings or reality? Okay, our, let's, when we talk about feelings, we're going to talk about feelings as being something pleasant or unpleasant. But when we talk about emotions, that's when we really nail down what the bodily function is. That's when we really nail down if you are angry, if you are stressed, and we describe it more intricately, intricately, okay? And so the question is, what is more prone to change, our feelings or reality? Well, will reality change? Is it, are, are you and I in the same studio right now with yes. the same surroundings? Yes. But we don't definitely have the exact same feelings about what's going on right now. And I don't know what you're feeling right now, but I don't... But I do know what I'm feeling. But but so our feelings are way more prone to change mm-hmm. than reality is. 
is it okay to have feelings? Yes. Is it okay to, we're designed, is it okay to have emotions? By all means. Yes. But is it okay for your feelings to have you? See, there's a difference between having emotions and your emotions having you. Now, in order to help someone who is trapped by their emotions, and we all know people who are, the world goes about it in either one of two ways. The first method or model deals with making someone feel good, and then once they feel good, their behavior will be appropriate. This is a method that is widely accepted in the world today as therapy. But how do you make someone feel good? Drugs? I tried that, you know. Uh, tell them what they want to hear. Well, that'll make them feel good. Maybe they need to act out on their emotions. I mean, there's some there's some people that believe that that therapy works. I mean, you just if you're angry at someone, you give them a pillow and you tell them to imagine that face on the pillow, and and then you say, hit away and take your aggressions out, take your anger out, act out, act out on your anger, act out on your aggressions. Um, will this make you feel better? Maybe temporarily, right? But. Uh, what will it do? It'll also strengthen and reinforce the anger. It will. When you act out on anger, well, it does something in your brain. Right. And it strengthens and reinforces. So I know this is therapy. Now, Susan and I are not experts, per se, on psychiatry or anything like that. But what we have, what we do carry with us is experience in how to... Um, how to change your life and how to get your emotions under control because it's it has not been easy for us in the last 15 years as as we as we uh have been through this journey of coming off of drug addiction for 25 years and um when you come off of drugs you are emotionally a child mm -hmm. and so we've gone through the whole gamut of emotions and how to um and how to get a hold of our lives and not have our emotions run our lives. And it, it, it causes me to want to ask a question. And, and, and when we talk about feelings and feeling good, and it's okay, God gave us emotions, he gave us feelings, he wants us to feel good, but should we be in a constant pursuit to feel better? Is it okay to feel good? But should we base all of our decisions on how we feel? That's the question. In other words, should our moral decisions be made with our emotional thumb on the scale? See, be, to be honest with you, I didn't really feel like coming in and doing the radio program today. What would have happened if I would have made a decision based on how I felt or how I feel? You see, and then back in the 60s, there was a saying in Berkeley that went something like this. If it feels good, do it. Now, as Christians, we're not taught to ignore our feelings however we are taught to not let them rule our lives that's that lower nature that paul talks about that clamors that wants that supremacy wants over... it wants to rule we don't want to forget that emotions play a huge part of our enjoyment and fulfillment in our lives yeah god created us that way and especially with love and to be able to express ourselves and and but once again we don't want to base everything that we decide, every decision we make, on our emotions. Now, once again, this first model of healing deals with making someone feel good, and then once they feel good, their behavior, behavior will be appropriate. Now, there's a, there's a second model that turns the whole thing around. 
See, the first model says emotions lead to behavior. The second model says that behavior leads to emotion. The truth is that they interact. It's not one or another. The first model, of course, says that it's the re- that the reason that you're behaving particularly or inappropriately is because you feel horrible. And we've just got to get you to feel better, and then, of course, you'll act better. Now, the next model we'll call the learning model, says that the reason you're feeling terribly is because you're thinking and acting wrong, which is making you feel bad. Now, the beauty of this model is that behavior can be taught. You can't directly get at emotions, but you can teach someone how to act. Emotions are dealt with in this model more as, a, as consequences. Right. This model is known as behavioral therapy, or in a deeper sense, cognitive behavioral therapy. See, in the first model, the emphasis is on feeling right. In the second model, the emphasis is on doing right. Susan, do you feel good when you're thinking right and doing right? Yes, I do. You know, when I when I get up early in the morning and I get started off right and I make it to the gym and go ahead and, and get my exercising done and come home and have a good breakfast. I'm ready for work. I'm ready for the day, and I feel good. I face the day with um, a lot of excitement. Okay. So so when you, when you follow a portion of this model, it right. works, right? Yes. Uh-huh. So um, do you study in the morning? I do. Okay. You I, study I, and you I have pray my in devotions. the morning? Yes, okay. and I pray in the morning. So that's right. Absolutely. Do you drink plenty of water in the morning? I try to drink try water to pl- in the morning, yes. And that makes you feel better, too. Correct. It keeps okay. the mind clear. So I like this model, uh, but but once again, both models, they interact. They're, they can't be separate from an, one another. However, we're going to talk here in a little bit about another model that we like even more. Okay. So to a great degree, it appears that this model is helpful. The problem is... With both of these models, one important thing is left out. That is the underlying selfishness of man. Correct. Because we can't assume that the goodness lies within man, and it just simply needs to be brought out with good behavior. We as Christians know that that's not the case. We know that there is only one that is good, and that is God. And... I mean, if you think about it, when a person has lost all hope, life is ugly and terrible for them, and they look around, their world is falling apart, are we just going to tell them to act right and everything will be well? There has to be more. There has to be a better way. You see, when someone really believes that the world fundamentally is a rotten place to live, these approaches have a tendency to lose their effect. Maybe what we're really struggling with is a much bigger picture The picture dealing with meaning, purpose, and hope. You know, why are we here? Why is everything so wrong? How do we cope? These are questions that we ask, and and simply telling somebody to pull themselves up by the bootstraps and act right, and they're going to feel better without looking at the big picture is not going to do them any good. Right. So what we'd like to talk about today and in the weeks to come is another model, a Christian model a model which does not lose sight of these other two models, but incorporates them into a much larger picture and a much larger purpose. A purpose that doesn't have our self-centeredness as a reference. And that's the key. In fact, we will use a biblical model, one that solves the self-centeredness problems. When we solve the self-centeredness problem, 
we solve the emotional problems and the behavioral problems. The whole person needs to be healed. That includes what we do, what we think, and what we feel. Once again, we don't want to forget that emotions play a huge part in our enjoyment and fulfillment in our lives. But we also don't want to forget that emotions should never be placed first. You know, sometimes in our attempt to feel good, we, we cannot only destroy ourselves, but we can also cause harm to the people around us. I can remember back, um, oh, I would say mid-80s, when I was using cocaine quite heavily. And I was on a real serious roller coaster because when I was doing that, I was also drinking very heavily. And I can remember, now I did not have God in my life, but I had kind of a foxhole religion. Whenever I got in a pickle, I I called on God. Okay, and... For some reason, I can remember this stretch of time. It might have been about a year, maybe two years. And it's hard to imagine that I went in, went through this for this long. But I would use so much of the cocaine that when I finally would lay down and try to get some sleep or some rest, I can remember my heart. It felt like it was going to pound out of my chest. And I would lay there, and, and it's like it's a really really miserable feeling because you're scared to death you're out of drugs and the only thing that kind of halfway gets your brain straight again is more drugs because you you're just coming down your heart is blowing out of your chest and it is totally miserable and there's nothing on this earth that can help you and you just lay there and i just laid there pleading with god saying get me through this night lord and i'll never do it again and what do you think i did the next morning the same thing or the next afternoon or the next time I could get and so I would go through this over and over it was just a roller coaster the same thing happened over and over well in addition to causing nerve and brain damage cocaine addicts must also bear the risk of cocaine that are hidden a new study finds that heart damage caused by heavy cocaine use can occur without showing any symptoms see and and this was my attempt to feel good a self-centered attempt to feel good was to use cocaine. And I was doing harm to myself that I had no clue that I was doing. The research says that 83% of these cocaine addicts suffered structural damage and 47% experienced swelling in the lower left ventricle. And the researchers also found that 73% of addicts have heart scar tissue, which may be caused by silent heart attacks or toxic damage. See, in the studies, research assessed that the heart health of 30 long-term cocaine users averaged age was 37 years. The participants had used cocaine for an average of 12 years and consumed about 5 grams of cocaine a day. So this study is very interesting. About 1 in 5 cocaine addicts had inflammation of the heart muscle. And among young people aged less than 45 years, a quarter had non-fatal heart attacks associated with cocaine. That's healthy life care news. Um, Where would we all be right now if Jesus would have went with what he felt just before the cross when he asked God if the cup could be passed from him? You remember that? He asked not once, not twice, but three times. In the book of Matthew, he asked, 
Going a little farther, he fell to his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but thy will be done. And he went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were weary. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. You see, Jesus had the unselfish heart. He was led by the Spirit, not by his emotions. Right, and so when you were using the cocaine, you were trying to um, deal with your emotions by using an outside substance to make you feel better. Yeah, and and like the study says, I was doing damage to myself. Now, that cocaine is a good illustration of how someone in an attempt to feel better does damage, and that's right. why I wanted to read the statistics on what was messed up with the, with the heart and, and the experience that I had gone through. But what about when your emotions have you? What about when stress has you or anxiety has you? Are you doing damage to right, yourself? Right, because, because the, the cocaine and everything, that's an extreme. That's something that people don't always identify. But what happens when you're stressed out because you don't have the money to pay the mortgage? Or there's something going on with your kid at school and you're getting called in once again? You know, those are things that are everyday things that can either drive us you know, away from God or they can drive us to God. That's right. Because he's the answer. If we look to ourselves and we think about ourselves, that's where the problem is going to stay. That's where it's going to stay. That's where it's going to stay. See, Jesus says to us in John 3, 3, except a man be born from above. In other words, unless he shall receive a new heart, new desires, new purposes, new motives leading to a new life, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, the idea that it's necessary only develop the, to develop the good that exists in man by nature, that's a fatal deception. That's right. The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Neither can he be known them because they are spiritually discerned. And don't you hear that nowadays? If you could just get at the good that's inside you. Right. But what does Paul say? It, it, in us dwelleth no good thing. Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again, John 3, 7. Of course, it is written, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. See, the life is from Christ. In him is life. The life is not in us. It is in him. The only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And I wanted to talk about that word saved. That word in the Greek, uh, saved, is sodso. And it not only means to be saved, it means to be made well, to be made whole, to be healed. Remember the blind man in the book of Luke? The King James Version reads like this, Luke 18, 40. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Receive thy sight. Thy faith has saved thee. That's the same word. Thy faith has saved thee. There's that word. In the NIV, it's put like this. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Your faith has healed you. See, Jesus wants to make us well. He wants us to make, to, he wants to make us whole again. He wants, us to, he wants to give us a new heart, the whole being, the whole being, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Has he done that for you? Yes. How has he done it for you? 
it's been a day by day walk with him and and um little things change at little times you know you, when i first got clean and sober i was an emotional mess i cried every day yeah. but now i don't do that anymore and as i trust in him because your source is outside yourself exactly I'm, and i'm not looking at myself all the time poor me and and why'd this happen to me now i i'm able to see you know what i i need to look at the goodness of of, of god and not just to myself and the way that i think things are always against me or bad for me yeah you know and, and paul says he says i die daily right he dies to what dies to self and that clamoring that that tug of saying I because I, that's how god's world is it's always about others exactly so if we can get out of self and into others then that's the true answer that's to our a, problems. that's the true and see when we understand that sometimes um things are going to go certain ways but we do the right thing because it is the right thing ultimately we will will feel better absolutely there's less baggage you pack around and you know what if we don't feel better it will get better that's right that's right so as we close today we'd like you to keep in mind that there's a difference between having emotions and your emotions having you and that you have the freedom to choose do i love my neighbor Thank you for listening to Freedom to Choose. There truly is hope for anyone whose life is in captivity, overrun with the devastation of addiction and unmanaged emotions. Rich and Susan are living testimonials, and they've created this seven-step biblically-based handbook and a recovery workbook to move those you love toward freedom. If you'd like to order the Addiction Recovery Workbook for someone you know, or if you're a member of a church and you'd like to create a ministry in the area of addiction and unmanaged emotions, Rich and Susan can help you get started. Please call Rich and Susan at 916-645-1297 or go to www.justasiamministries.com. As a nonprofit, they're supported by people like you. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you.